Hey guys, Blaine from DTC Pod here, and I've got something you're gonna like. So if you're anything like us, bringing highly talented VAs or virtual assistants into your operations and workflows is a big part of running a business. Uh, but oftentimes the hardest part is sourcing and vetting talent, especially at an affordable rate. And that's where more now comes in. They source and match you with top talent from the Philippines across finance, supply chain, operations, marketing, and whatever else you may need. And the best part is they're super cost-effective and back their talent with a 12-month guarantee. So go to morenow.co or check the link I'm dropping in the show notes to learn more about more now and start offloading some of the most tedious tasks off your plate. We've had a bunch of success working with them and their VAs in our workflows, so excited for you guys to check them out. So before we kick off today's recording, I've got one more for you. Keeping up your momentum this year starts with the right selling tools. And if you're looking to increase revenue, grow faster, build more pipeline, and close more deals, check out the all-new sales hub from HubSpot. You'll be able to manage your whole sales process, plus my favorite part, the reporting. It's super intuitive, powerful, and customizable. Plus, the whole thing is powered by AI, so your teams can spend less time on tedious, time-consuming stuff and more time on developing relationships. Also, no one likes a clunky platform that takes months to onboard onto, but getting set up on Sales Hub is really quick and easy. It's free to get started, the pricing will scale with your business, and with more than 1,300 integrations and add-ons, you can tune it to your exact needs. Visit hubspot.com sales to start selling with Sales Hub. What's up, DTC Pod? Today, we're joined by Joel Padrone, who is the COO and partner at Homestead Studio. So, Joel, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in the D2C space and what you guys are building at Homestead? For sure. Uh, been around the game for a while now. Honestly, been in this space, started at Influencer Market like 10 years ago. Um, had like over 10 million followers on social media through there. Learned how to build my own e-commerce sites, promote traffic to them. And that kind of opened up the whole web of ads, email, all the things that come with it. Um, went over to CrossNet early in my career, you know, was one of the early hires there. So I got my hands dirty, you know, scaling a brand from seven to eight figures in D2C and then decided I wanted some more challenges. So went agency side, how can I keep duplicating success, helping brands in the seven, eight figure plus range um, scale online. Sweet. So you were, were you working with Chris over at CrossNet for a while and you guys, how'd you guys meet in Miami? Yeah, they, they moved down when they launched CrossNet, really, and um, got to meet up with them through some mutual friends. So met them, had a good time, became, you know, friendly, stayed in touch, and then eventually they moved across the street from me, and we just started playing basketball every single week. So um, built up a good relationship, just naturally, not really even business-focused, and then we ended up working together. You know, they had an opening looking for someone. I had a brief period where I was like, you know what, it was COVID, I'm looking for to get back into the e-commerce space, I took a break and um, I didn't even submit my application. They were like, hey, like we kind of want to consider you. Can you like submit your application? I was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. They hit me up. They're like, yours was the best. Like, let's do this. I was like, all right, cool. Like, I'm game. So uh, good relationship, very fun crew and very fortunate. I got to learn a lot, you know, being behind a brand, doing a lot of cool things and push the boundaries. You know, it's interesting that CrossNet is very specific in the sense that CrossNet was like defining a category, right? It's not like a beauty product that already exists. You know the market. Um, CrossNet is a product that is very differentiated from all the rest. And so I'm curious how that ties into the previous experience you had. Like, what did you do before CrossNet? And then how was that experience different than the stuff you did previously? 
That's a great question. And like, it's interesting. A lot of the work that I was doing, you know, in the influencer side was toward very broad audiences. So most of my clients were, you know, global brands, you know, we're talking Uber, Bacardi, Adidas, uh, and then working with celebrities as well. Jennifer Lopez, DNCE, like a lot of global brands. I could not really target smaller audiences. So I did take a brief period where I started to learn how I could help, you know, people that have a local business, you know, a little more niche. Um, so CrossNet was a fun example where I got to test the new skill set. And one of the big things was where we even started was understanding your audience. I think that's something that no matter what size you are is very important and it's specific to a brand, especially like CrossNet that's unique. So one of the things we did was understand the audience. You think it's something people in our age demographic or a little younger are like the main people into it, but you'd be surprised the people purchasing it are moms for their kids. So that is a good starting point where now I needed to revolve all of our messaging and our prop value props and how we convey the product in a way that speaks to actually mom buying the product for their kids um, while still keeping it cool. So um, that's an example of like how I could go from something super broad to understanding your audience and like how can you make it stand out? Um, yeah, it really starts to understanding who cares about your product and most importantly, who's buying it. Yeah, I, I definitely want to talk about the agency side and your approach to sort of, you know, engagements and identifying first steps to take when you when you get a brand in the door. However, I think, um, you know, CrossNet is special in the sense that it was bootstrapped. And so when you're coming in bootstrapped and, you know, you're as early as having to identify the value props, the market, et cetera. Um, the clock is ticking and you yet don't know which one is the marketing strategy that is going to best work for the product. And you get that wrong a few times in a row, it becomes too late to find the winning strategy. So how did you identify like that? You know, how, how did you approach figuring out what was going to be the right strategy for this company, marketing strategy for this company before the clock run out? Yeah, it's obviously very important, you know, um, when you're working with bootstrap, like you said, a few wrong decisions, that's it. Your business is done. And I think a lot of people don't take that seriously enough. You know, they're, they're quick to sprint and go do the work, but they're not very fat They're They don't take enough time to like sit down, process the information, make the right decisions. So I view things from like an approach in terms of priority. Like what's the make, what's going to make the biggest impact? You know, first thing I always say again is like, start with understanding your audience. So a lot of times people can name competitors. I like my ads that look like this. It's like, cool. Like who's actually buying your product? Why are they buying it? What use cases are they utilizing it? Understand that demographic because from there, now is when you could craft offers. Now is when you could craft um, ads. Now is when you could craft landing pages, user messaging. How are you going to do all of that without knowing who you're speaking to? Um, so for me, it's like step one in the approach. If you cannot clearly tell me who is actually buying your product, people make assumptions and they're not always correct. Demonstrate with data. Who is buying your product? What are their interests? Create those like personas, your customer avatars. Um, I hate all that BS stuff that you hear, like make a business plan, customer avatars, but it's there for a reason. Um, so yeah, like I said, that's kind of how I approach a lot of things. Know your customer, go into offers, go into ads, go into landing page messaging. It all ties in together. If you get the first step wrong, everything else you do after, you're just wasting ad budget. So right now you guys at home said you guys cater to brands that are doing, you know, seven to nine figures and have scaled up their and have scaled up the needs in terms of what they need in terms of all of the different parts of the advertising and performance funnel that you just mentioned. But first, I'd like to kind of go one step back. 
what you were just talking about is like very foundational stuff for a brand that's getting started out, right? Like who is your ICP? Who are you selling to? Are your offers, right? Like what do your landing pages look like? All of that sort of stuff. What I'd, I'd love for you to talk to us about maybe some of the brands that you guys have gotten to work with, right? Like what what did they get right in the, the early stages? And what are some of the ways that you see brands who maybe don't make it to the you know, seven figures where they're ready to like light a bunch of money on fire. Like what are some of the big mistakes that you see those brands making that they should get right, right out of the gates? Yeah. Happy to share more. Like we've, we've built a lot of that approach into Homestead. Like when we, when we, you know, receive any leads, we put them kind of through this like question process. And honestly, it starts with a little bit of DTC finance. I need to make sense if your business is even viable from a, from a financial standpoint. So usually we're looking at what are your product costs? What are your average margins? Um, what's your fixed rate to like, what's your run rate? Like how much fixed expenses do you need to cover every single month? So then whenever we're running ads, we know, cool, we need to make this much in gross profit to cover your labor, your warehouses, your office, anything to run the business. Um, typically we're looking for brands that have, you know, your cogs can't be more than like 40% at least. Usually it's a nice spot if you've got like 80, like 75 to 90% margin, I would say. Um, that's a good starting point. And then- from there, it kind of lets us see like, okay, what level of spend do we need to be achieving at what ROAS or efficiency target, whatever it might be? Does it make financial sense for you to work with us? Um, we usually compare that to what their historical data is. So it's like, are we really far off from that? Sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes you might they might tell you something on the call and then you look at the data. It's like, how, how do you expect us to hit a $15 customer acquisition cost when you're averaging 70 for the last year? Like, it's possible, but... We, we do our due diligence there. Um, the other part then is understanding your brand, kind of like we just touched upon. We will send you an, a sheet that's like, cool, send a list of your competitors, send like outline your unique value props, outline what are the use cases, outline what differentiates your products. You know, if you don't have a good product as well, there's not so much that you could do. You know, you could still market your way through a bad product in the beginning, but as you grow, it's just worse and worse. You're, you're um, you're just you're just building something that's going to fall. So for us, it starts very founda- foundationally there. And then honestly, something that people don't talk about is what's the vibe? Like, are you actually going to listen to me? Or are you just going to try to like pretend that you know everything? Oh, you did that one time. We're never going to do that again. I think that's something nobody talks about. But the more and more clients that we've worked with, I can tell off the gate, if you're going to give us the range that we need, and you're also going to do the work on your part to make this a successful partnership, or are you just going to point your finger anytime you're you're upset, your advisors, your investors are happy? Am I going to be the punching bag or am I a partner? Yeah, I think that's a really, really important way to think about things because like you're saying, the partnerships a lot of the times are two-way streets and it's not just like, oh, here, you go figure it out because like, like you were saying, there's certain foundational things that a business has to have in place for it to work. So you guys need that that partnership to to be working correctly. So um, my next question for you is going to be kind of what you were saying about um, as brands are getting ready to scale, like they're coming up on, you know, call it seven figures, maybe like five million to 10 million bucks. Are you seeing are those clients that are coming into you? Are they solely focused on D to C? Have they kind of started doing some omnichannel or retail stuff at that stage? Like, what is it that you you're seeing commonly like right now in the market from brands that you're working with? Are they on Amazon? Um, why don't you just, yeah, give us, paint the picture. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. It comes up a lot. And like, when's the right time to expand channels? And I have a lot of experience at that with CrossNet. It's actually one of the DTC brands that majority of the revenue comes from 
wholesale, big box, you know, Amazon, they have a good percentage of the revenue from global um, markets, you know, much more substantial than majority of brands. So I understand what it's, how we could make a positive impact on a business, but I understand how much work it takes to get there. So there isn't a blanket answer, honestly, but I typically think until you've really scaled something to the maximum of your ability, you've expanded your own product catalog. Then like once you've done that, then you can expand markets. You've proven yourself. You've proven yourself in like the US market, your product. You've expanded and, and been able to capture more purchases. Then you can kind of duplicate the success. If you're still figuring it out, you should not. Um, so I think that's kind of like the criteria that I recommend rather than a revenue ban because it could, it could be different. Um, traditionally, I would say though, eight figures, once, once you're getting into eight figures or trying to crack into eight figures, that's when it makes sense. Um, but for us, like the brands that are able to even achieve eight figures, you need to have proven yourself with like, you need an offer to scale behind all of the things that we've talked about. Like you had to like cross off these steps in the fundamentals. If you're at seven figure, uh, range, you've got proof of proof of concept, your product works. If you're return return purchase rates are strong you've got to work in product um so at that point it's like add fuel to the fire you're not necessarily figuring things out you're you're and even like like raymond you said it's like a lot of these businesses a few wrong moves and you're out of business like now it's when you have the capital cushion that you can make investments in these efforts is when you should start investing and trying to scale beyond them not when you're looking for a silver bullet what are the favorite companies that you like to work with? Like, is it a specific vertical? Is it really the dynamic between you and, and the founder or the person you're working with there? Is it a specific sort of margin and unit economic of the business? Is it a defining a category? Like, what are the attributes of the companies that you're like, oh, man, I'm fired up to work with this brand? Yeah. And we could ask that a lot, too, where it's like, do you specialize in a certain um, niche or category? And honestly, we don't. Um, we're pretty agnostic as long as you're physical product on Shopify. Um, obviously, AOVs need to make some stuff. I mean, you personally. Oh, uh, sorry. Are you able to repeat the question then? Yeah, no. Like what, what What companies right now are you like really excited to work with? Is there a specific vertical or, or type of company that you're just like, you're looking for more of those and you're really excited to work with? Yeah, honestly, I like to work the brands that are fun. So I, yeah. I've, I've got enough years of experience in the game, have a good team where if you pass like the basic qualifications. Like if you're someone that I want to work with, want to see you win, your product excites me. It's very likely that I could excite somebody else to purchase your product. So um, I really think that the intangibles and like more about the relationship, how we're going to work together. I think that's become a very strong um, indicator if we're going to have a great time and have something successful or are we not going to have much. And it goes both ways, right? Like what what is it about Homestead that makes companies want to work with Homestead, why should a company work with Homestead over any other agency? Um, there's a lot of noise in the Twitterverse on on the agency world, um, you know, and Homestead seems to be doing well. So, what is it that makes companies get excited about Homestead? Yeah, we're really fortunate that most of our our leads come from word of mouth and good good work. So that's always been our focus. We're not really the loudest voices online, but people tend to hear about us. Um, we like it that way. We like being known for. Um, our good work and not our hot takes. So for us, it goes down to like our background started with like running majority of like an e-commerce brand. Like we're the full outsourced agency doing UGC videos, landing pages, development. Like that's what we were doing when we were founded. Um, 
So we're ahead of the game on that. A lot of people are media buying shops or like creative shops. They're very good at one thing. We've always just been very deep at understanding what it's like to run a business. Um, our founder, Zach Stuck, he has his own portfolio brands. So he's acquired or started his own at this point. You know, it's over an eight-figure portfolio. So a lot of the things that we recommend, we're doing it ourselves with our own money. So that's something that other agencies aren't necessarily doing. Um, so yeah, for us, it's like, it's very clear when you start working with us, the, the questions and the quality that we ask, I think that's what separates us. Um, we're not over here copy and pasting whatever the Twitter sphere is saying. Um, we're out here like creating and testing new theories. So for us, it goes, it goes down to that. And again, I'm going to continue with the theme of just like, do you resonate with like what their approach is, what their personality is? And for us, it's just like, it's part of our company culture. It's like, do the best work that you can and have the most fun you can possibly. Yeah. We've, it's tough to even keep track with a lot of them, but for us, honestly, it's like, we've got some exciting ones in terms of size. Obviously we have very large clients like Hexclad. Um, but I actually like when we crack like some of the smaller ones, like those mom and pop businesses that, you know, it's just them, they're figuring it out. They've got it to a good point. And like, you're able to implement landing pages and educate them and teach them throughout the process. And, you know, some of these have been able to scale up significantly. We have clients that have been with us for four or five years, and it's been amazing to watch them from very early stages to now being eight figure businesses. And how can they keep how can we continue being that partner to them that kind of guides them through the next levels of stages that helps them throughout problems? You know, there's there's all, it's not always good. I think it's good to highlight those times that you might mess up. You might have made the wrong decision. You might have cost the business some money. How can you make it right and be a good partner in those difficult times? Um, I think that speaks a lot as well, um, where it's valuing the relationship more than just the dollars. So, um, yeah, I think that might be my favorite case study. Now we're talking about it. Those brands that have been here for the longest, Nobody knows their names. They're not the sexiest brand, but being able to make an impact on their life and their business, I think is the most important. Totally. I bet that's really rewarding for you and your team. Um, so, okay, you guys do a bunch of different verticals within marketing, UGC, email, SMS, subscription, performance marketing. So, I mean, these are pretty much almost all the verticals, um, the bread and butter of everything marketing in DDC. When a brand engages you guys, I mean, do they go, do they have to go for everything or do you tailor, okay, we're just going to do this. This is what we recommend. Um, I, I'm sort of wrapping my head around like, well, do I just not need a marketing team if I have Homestead because they do it all? Um, it's, it's a good question. And it's obviously one that we go up against every day. You know, for us, we've built them out of necessity for what really moves the needle. So even in this day and age, you know, you guys probably hear it all the time. Everybody's landing pages, creative, all this, but then you go and actually speak with the brand. Um, most of the times they've maybe never tested a landing page. If they have once, twice, if you're lucky, um, zero iteration. So like everybody, you know, everybody says all these great things, but when it comes to like seeing the behind the scenes, how can you make meaningful impact on them? A lot of times it's like, I've never tested video. I've never got video to work. I've never done UGC. Mind blowing to all of us probably right now. But this is the true true reality of seven to eight figure brands. Um, so you need to be able to provide the full funnel experience. No longer um, can you just rely on media buying. That's gone. You know, creative is good. But if then your email, you have a leaky funnel, like cool, you have a pop-up that converts at 1%. You're barely signing up people. You're not getting repeat customers. Like these limit your ability to scale unpaid. So understanding and having solutions for all of those is helpful for us. Um, I think the entire industry acknowledges that you need to really have the full funnel 
really dialed in, you know, ad costs continue to rise. Um, so you need to be more polished than ever. Um, and I think it's a great thing that now there's a lot more focus on profitability. It's more important than ever to be first order profitable. Um, you can't just rely on all these things like LTV and, um, you know, all these, all these other fluff wars that were going around when money was just flying everywhere. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's super important in terms of, um, you know, thinking profitable, profitably from the first order and how you scale from there. So I'd like to go like in depth. I know, um, you guys kind of service the whole stack of marketing. So I'd love to kind of like pick apart each one and maybe we can talk about like what the kind of best practices are and how you think about it. And so I know, um, you know, landing pages and creative has come up several times in this conversation. So I want to go a little bit deeper there, right? How do you guys think about, um, you know, when you guys onboard a brand or when you're working with a brand, what makes a good set of creative and how do you match that creative to a landing page that is going to make, uh, make things convert? I love that. I like the way that you even phrase it, like having the creative match your landing page. I think that in itself is something that has had some of the most success with a lot of brands. If you could find what worked and have your messaging match, you you will be shocked. Eight to nine figure brands and beyond do not do that correctly. And when you do it well, like I've heard many times and in my own experience, like improve the uh, a brand's ROAS by like three times at least. Um, so landing page is important. I'll give like a very detailed example. We'll even go back to CrossNet. So when I discovered that moms purchasing for their kids is actually the main buyer, what we did then is like, okay, how can we make ads that include families playing together in their yard? Um, so we would have entire families in our content playing instead of, let's say, pro athletes. Now in our messaging, the value props are, okay, it's height adjustable so anybody in the family can play. It's very safe. It's it's portable. You could set it up in your backyard. Your kids are no, you know where your kids are. They're going to be safe. Um, and now you have all the reviews also be from parents um, or organizations, like whatever it is you now have cohesion across the ad landing page and your messaging. That in itself is like a strategy that anybody could implement. Um, and I still see very little people doing it well. So you'd get that funnel done. I guarantee you'll make a lot of money. We are really excited to announce that DTC Pod is officially part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals. And we're really excited about being part of the network because we're going to be able to keep growing the show, bringing you guys amazing guests, and obviously helping you guys learn from the best founders, marketers, and builders of the most successful consumer brands. So anyway, keep listening to DTC Pod and more shows like us on the HubSpot Podcast Network at hubspot.com slash podcast network. I love that. Uh, so basically the idea is A, matching creative to the landing page, but then also thinking in terms of like the audience and the value props that are going to resonate with those audience. So when you're coming up with the creative on the back end, wherever, whatever landing page that's leading to, make sure to have the benefits aligned to that ICP you're speaking with, and that's going to drive conversion. Um, but wait, I have, I have a comment on that. So um, there's, there's two sides of this coin where some people are like, you, you don't need to worry about that until you're at like a hundred thousand dollars a month in spend. And then there's people that are like, it doesn't matter. I'm always going to make that message consistent. If I can do better, I'm going to do better. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, then there's people that are like, yeah, that's just a huge waste of time and operations, especially if you're just at seven figures and you don't have the bandwidth to create landing pages for each audience. So at which point do you think that it's worth to start looking into, okay, let's make creative specific to each 
audience and make landing pages specific to each audience? I think that's a great call out. It is a great call out. And I'm always very quick to say, hey, the advice you're giving is a little too advanced for most people. So I think, again, the way that I approach that at least is from the start, you need to understand who's buying it. So you always need to speak ideally to one person. I'm an individual watching an ad. You need to be speaking to me. So find what the highest percentage of people that you could really resonate to and make everything about them. That's when you have a funnel. Like if you don't have that, you're... a homepage is meant to be very general. If now we're driving traffic to an ad, we're calling out a specific pain point or value prop. That's what, and you're funneling traffic to a page that talks about that. Again, if you're sending it to your homepage or PDP, that's meant for an uninformed audience that's very broad in general. If you're trying to capture you know, paid traffic that has low attention span, you need to keep that, co- that story going. So I think the moment that you're spending ad dollars, you should already start doing that. Um, it's a form of understanding your own business. It's going to be what allows you to scale. And then I could even go even more tactical too, where once you figure that out for one audience, now you're duplicating a proven concept. You're scaling on something that is proven and you're not just throwing darts on the wall, spinning up creative, hoping it works, which is what most people do. So if your audience was, primary audience was moms, the next one we're going to be like, okay, it's college kids. Do the same thing. Now, if you have, let's say, a page builder app, there's so many of them out there. There's page deck, Replo, Unbounce, list goes on and on. Um, you kind of just swap out the images and the copy to resonate with it. So it's very low lift. I had to personally do that when I was kind of a one, one person team. So it's very, very practical to do. Um, and then I'll even share what type of landing pages tend to work best. You know, we spend tens of millions of dollars on, you know, sending traffic to landing pages. Listicles are, I would say is the most proven winner. Most of the times, the easiest one to make, the easiest one to iterate on. Um, it ties into what I'm saying. It gives you the most opportunities to showcase or speak to a specific audience compared to other formats. Um, I still will say shoppable are kind of like a second best one. So it's still, it kind of mimics a penny. Sorry, it mimics a product page, but it allows you to be more specific with your messaging. So you're less you're less limited by the default setting of what your Shopify theme is. And now you can really customize a product page that's like more educational and you could really control it more. Um, again, you can still apply the same principles as I mentioned, matching your messaging. But those, if you're going to make, if you're going to start landing pages, test listicle and shoppable first. Um, advertorials could have success, but I would say those are, you know, much lengthier in copy and also like the lowest win rate. So if you're limited on resources, as you said, Ramon, like start doing that from the start, here are your high percentage shots, go out and take them. And what you just said, I think you you said a couple, a bunch of brands who might make it to your stage, you're like, they're not even doing anything with landing pages. They're just driving traffic to their homepage or their PDP. So um, for maybe some of those brands, whether you're at scale or whether you're starting, what are, you know, A, why can't you create a, a lander in Shopify? Or, and what are some of those other tools that you just mentioned that you can create those tools in? And then do they allow you to, you know, split test? Or how are you kind of evaluating which messaging is uh, resonating the most and converting the highest? Yeah, that's definitely one of the big thing that a lot of the new technology in the recent years has helped. You know, I don't know how to call code. So we're talking like three years ago, you had a custom code landing pages or customize the Shopify theme. So it'd be super expensive, super time consuming. You're talking, you're waiting like three months if you're lucky to get something done. Um, nowadays, I'll, I'll go through them. You know, I would say the big three is like Page Deck, Unbalance, and Replo. Those are no code solutions that you can just install as a Shopify app. So 
technically any founder, any in-house employee should be capable of making a landing page on there. All you're doing is just drag and dropping, adding your copy, add your images, into your buy box of whatever product you want to promote. And from then on, it's just strategy. Can you come up with a good offer? Can you write compelling copy? And do you have a product somebody cares about at a price point that makes sense? Um, so yeah, it takes, spend a day, spend a day, launch it. I think that might be the best part. Launch the damn landing page. Everybody goes crazy on like the fine little details and everything. I know I launched one as a draft and it's like, wow, that blew everything out of the water. I'm glad that I didn't sit three months waiting on getting every single little period and everything perfect. Launch the damn landing page, iterate after. You know, it's it's funny, like landing pages have become a lot easier to do. Um, however, out of all of these channels, which one is the hardest one? Like, but like the most rewarding, but the hardest one, like for example, UGC, we all know it works, but it's hard to scale. Um, it can be hard to scale and to do it right, especially with like this new method of like spinning up a bunch of TikTok accounts and having creators make UGC content. I've done that a bunch of times. It is an absolute nightmare um, to try and scale up, even scaling influencer stuff. Like, you know, yeah. you did it with CrossNet before there were all these systems and everything. Um, and even today, the best system is like in-house spreadsheets, you know, uh, automated outreach, et cetera. Um, but I, let, let me let me take a step back here and throw that back at you. Um, before answering which one is the most challenging, I'm curious, what tip do you have for anyone listening to scaling influencer outreach? Hmm. So I always think the best strategy is the one that you could follow the best. So focus on less, do more better is is like, is the recommendation. Influencer outreach is tough. Sorry, camera, camera lost focus. Hold on, come on, it'll come back. Um, info outreach is, is definitely something that's difficult. It is, um, in my eyes, a little more low percentage success. And then typically you need to make sure you're driving meaningful ROI. So for a lot of brands in CrossFit, it was difficult. You're shipping heavy, expensive product. So sending out a lot of things forces you to be very calculated. I'll actually want to counter the approach of influencer outreach um i would say focusing on content creators you know actually the term of content creator more if you're running paid ads you need to make sure that you're getting very good quality that you could iterate rather than volume so you can it you could have a lot of volume by iterating and making variants of ideally a content library of very good content that you've built up so across that what i did was I'm going to make sure I have awesome openers. I'm going to make sure for every product line, I have videos of it being used by only males, only females, mixed mixed age age groups. And now I can mix and match my, my creative. I would say focus on building a creative catalog of assets that you can mix and match rather than, again, playing the volume game of send 100 pieces of product out, pray that 10% of them are good, and pray that you could even use them in your ads. You know, I think that approach is horrible. I don't like it. Um... So I would recommend send UGC briefs, get what you need, edit it, get creative with it. Yeah, I think that's really on point. And that's something even Ramon that like we've seen in creative. It's like when you get a really good creator who creates a fire piece of content, you're able to A, like they know how to create the hook. So like when you put spend behind that, it's going to catch and it's going to eat a bunch of your budget in a great way. Um, my next question kind of bounces back to creative, right? Creative is something where whether it's creative or UGC, it's always changing. There, there's always new stuff popping up. What are you seeing right now in the like performance creative side of things that's like really working for D2C brands or some of the brands you're work, working with, whether it's 
you know, related to a platform, related to a type of content style, related to a creator's persona? Like, what are you seeing that's working? Yeah, there is definitely changes fast. It changes fast. And I would probably go with two things. I've actually really been a fan of the trend that more ads, primarily UGC content, are mimicking organic um, posts. So kind of like a TikTok reply, but making it actually look real. Not those fake screenshots on like a phone mock-up. Like, no, I'm talking like an actual question somebody would ask that makes me feel like I'm, you know, I got recommended a post that's not an ad. It's like on my For You page or whatever. I think if you could craft something like that and be able to like explain the product in an organic way, I think that's going to continue to do well. Um, the other that I would say is we're actually big fans of uh, utilizing statics more heavily for testing your messaging. So UGC and videos obviously are tougher to put together. You know, they're tougher to execute on. So if you're trying to create a test and you want to test angles and headlines, do that with statics. You know, you're able to spit out a ton more then you can videos. And then once you find what your winner is, like, oh, wow, like we've had clothing where it's like, oh, it makes your butt look really good. Well, now go make your videos that highlight how it makes your butt look good rather than like, oh, it's flattering, it's slimming, it's all this. Like, no, you found what the audience cares about. Go get video made for it. So um, I would say if you follow those two things with your, you know, your creative strategy, you should do pretty well. You know, something that isn't talked about enough is like the caption too. Um, and how it plays a part into tying into the creative. How do you guys think about the captions? I think they're important, you know, um, the headlines mostly. So so the headlines, obviously, you know, the platforms have shrunk over over time. How much actually, how much text actually appears? Um, so your headline, your first line is so important. Um, then there's the, there's the other part of it. Now that it's hidden behind see, see more, if somebody has to click that step, you might as well take advantage of it now. So we have seen, I would say, a bit more longer form copy work. In my past, I was a big fan of very short, snappy copy. Um, but because of the changes, you know, take advantage of if you have someone's attention and they click on that, utilize that free real estate. So um, yeah, user copy, stop thinking of it as a super big afterthought. Um, but I still will say, you know, the other items that we've talked about have a bigger impact. I would put copy um, in your ads after all the things we said. So understand your audience, offer landing pages, ads, and then add a copy. And when you say offer, I just kind of want to go a little bit deeper there. Like, can you clarify that? Like, how do you come up with a good offer? Is that just pr price in terms of what you're pricing at and what you're bundling and what you're getting? Or how, how do you think about constructing a really solid offer? I, I really think it does come around to that. So it could be done many different ways. It could be get with purchase. It could be buy to get X. Um, it could be a new customer offer. I think that's something that's not talked about enough, you know, a specific offer for new customers to come in. Um, those, you, I think if you're relying on paid strat, like paid social to make an impact on your business, that is a very fundamental piece. Like if you don't have that const, that proven control that you could scale off of, you're going to have a, a difficult time. So that's why I recommend get an offer that works that makes financial sense for your business. And then you keep that as your control. Now you're able to split test, you know, creative and all these other things. If you're changing an offer and you don't have a good one, like you're going to, you're going to have less data points to refer on. Like if your creative works, because creative landing pages, all of those at the end of the day, it depends on conversion. Like if you're not getting much conversions, you're not getting much data. Again, I don't, you can't overvalue the soft metrics at the end of the day. What matters is where people are putting their dollars, not where they're clicking a like button or, or something else. Do you guys play with bundles? Yeah, we definitely play with bundles. But again, like I think 
the the distinction that I really want to highlight is a new customer offer. Um, there's been a trend where everybody wants to boost their AOV on the first product. But I want people to think, if I have never purchased from you, why are you trying to sell me three products? I don't even know if I like your initial product. So I want people to really think on what is an attractive offer to someone that has never purchased from my brand do, and then scale off of that. So I've had brands where in select cases, it makes sense that I want to lower your new customer AOV. I, I want you to stop trying to sell me two or three products at once. Sell me one or two. At a, at a very strong offer, get me in the door. And if your product is really good and you get strong return customers, you could get them in the back end. I think too many people are making that mistake of, I want $100 off of someone's. Dude, they don't know you yet. Do you think the same applies for subscriptions? Um, subscriptions obviously could be a little different. You know, at that point, it's more you're in like the checkout kind of level. Like, ah, do I want to save and maybe roll a dice? I, I could technically cancel it and just pocket the difference. So I think that the subscription component, you know, it's good to have it in there. I wouldn't push so heavily on the front front end offer. It could make sense, especially in CPG or consumables, anything replenishable. Um, it could make sense to offer something advanced if you get a subscription. But if we're talking like outside of that that realm, I wouldn't necessarily recommend pushing subscription heavily on on first time customers. Yeah, my favorite advice here sometimes, and and it's something that you hear all the time, but it's like. Sometimes you need to just like take off your like business hat and put on your customer hat and just be like, if I was a first time buyer going to this, like, how would I see this? Right. And that seems so intuitive and you hear it so many times, but like, like Ramon is saying, it's like, are we thinking about bundles? Are we thinking about subscription? And at the end of the day, a new product or a new customer who's shopping is just like, I don't even know this brand. Like I just saw an ad for it on Facebook. Like, should I even buy it? Um, so I love just, you know, always kind of coming back to that like baseline of, uh, of thinking because at the end of the day you're selling to you know humans and, and and new buyers yeah i will highlight on that point that's usually one of the best pieces of advice again i try to do like simplify my information where it's practical for the most amount of people and has a high percentage of success so like i'll have i'll audit a brand or i'll look at somebody else and they're like how the heck did you find this it's like i went to your, your public ad library i pretended that i was going to buy this product and i found all the mistakes in your website i found what i didn't like in the user journey and now I found I created a solution. Like everybody's so stuck inside the ad account that if, as you said, take off the marketing hat, go through the journey as a prospective customer and see what you think. Every single time to this day, I come up with plenty of ideas. I don't care if it's like some of like the DTC darlings in our own space. I won't say any names, but like there is always improvements that you could make no matter what. Um, so that's something that takes five minutes and you will get so many learnings and it's much cheaper than hiring a consultant. Man, I love that because we're so in the weeds. We forget about this stuff. And then like we even forget to look at our our own websites on mobile. Like, you know, we're, we're working on the desktop, making all these changes, et cetera. And then it's like, oh, shit, like this is going on in mobile. Had no clue it even looked different or this design update wasn't done here um, or the CTA here is actually driving you to the wrong place. It's a different place on mobile. So um that definitely happens all the time so um that's a good low-hanging fruit advice for anyone listening so as we approach towards the end joel i think um for you know we have people who listen that work at agencies they work at brands and so i'm sure a lot of people are curious on like hey i wonder how much different it is to be a partner or work at an agency um versus working directly in a brand um so what has that experience and transition been like 
for you? And then what advice do you have for anyone considering a transition like that? I love that. It's funny where I feel like I took the the opposite approach. I went brand first, agency second. Typically the path is agency first, brand second. Um, but the pros and cons are the same, really. You know, I think if you're starting out, it might actually be beneficial to go the agency route first. Um, just because it's it's I would always say it's best to specialize first and then you have value that you can kind of like start bartering and exchanging, get your get your foot in the door somewhere and learn something else. So Go to an agency, you're able to learn on someone else's dime first. Um, you're going to be surrounded by top talent. You're going to get a larger sample size. You're going to be able to pattern recognize what works, what doesn't. Um, so I recommend doing that first. That's the biggest difference in an agency is you're going to have a larger sample size that comes with less focus going super, super deep. Um, so now the brand side is you're getting a sample size of one. And now you're just going super damn deep, A-B testing everything, understanding the cause and effect reactions of every single thing in the business. You start learning things like cash flow, how decisions impact it, um, payback periods, finance. There's so many things that you would never even think if you're a media buyer or just like a freelancer that's only been doing like agency work. Having that very, very deep understanding and even how to speak the language of founders. Know what it's like to be in their seat. What keeps them up at night? What do they really give a dang about at the end of the day? Um, I'll tell you, they don't give a shit about your CPM. They care about how much money they made that day or how much they lost that day. So it's very it's very direct and you learn a lot there. So I would, I would recommend go agency first, brand second, if you really want to then go deep um, and focus on that. Especially like, you know, it's more data points that you get faster. Um, the rate at which you get those data points of seeing different brands and, and seeing different strategies play out in real time at the same time is something that money can buy. It sort of reminds me when I went through Techstars with, you know, with Trend previously, the big eye opener for me was, you know, we were isolated during COVID building, but then here we were in the same room with 10 other startups, seeing what everyone was doing at the same time. So Joel, for anyone listening that wants to get in touch with you or Homestead, um, how can they do that? Where can they find you? For sure. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn. Search my name, Joel Padron. And if you'd like to check out Homestead, homesteadstudio.co. Um, you can check out any of our work examples there. Reach out to us if you'd like to work with us. Sweet. Thanks, Joel. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.